Well, good morning, everyone. It's, it's always a privilege and an honor to have the opportunity to share with you, particularly in this church, and I've been looking forward since Jason asked me if I would do the sermon today. And thank you for reading the scripture. That's a tremendous passage. It's one that's really dear to my heart, and uh, there's so much we can learn from it. So thank you very much. I've called the message this morning, Two Lost Boys. It's based on the reading we heard this morning, commonly called the prodigal son. If you did a poll, this parable would probably rank at, at or near the top of the most read and remembered of the parables that Jesus spoke. Well, the message I have prepared today could easily be presented in two parts, and I only have today to present it. I'm going to provide you with some basic context before we start. Here's the context. First of all, this was interesting, and this is more trivia than context. I looked up the word prodigal in the dictionary. In Webster's Dictionary, this is what it says. It doesn't mean wayward is the most common interpretation. It means recklessly spendthrift, extravagant, having spent everything. Parables are a commentary on life, and Jesus used these stories to explain important points to us and how God wants us to live our lives. And prior to sharing this parable, he told two other stories of things that were lost. Major foreshadowing to the story we're going to hear today. First of all, the story of the lost sheep. The shepherd had a hundred sheep, loses one, leaves ninety-nine in the wilderness, and goes after one until he finds it. He carries it home on his shoulders and calls his neighbors over and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep. Jesus then says, There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who don't need repentance. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 that don't need repentance. The second is the story of a woman with ten silver coins. She loses one lights a lamp, sweeps the floor, and searches until she finds it. And she calls her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. Then Jesus says, There is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Over one sinner who repents. The difference in our story today is that no one's going out and looking for something. And I will come back to that point later. The most common interpretation of this parable in a nutshell is this. The younger brother is forgiven by his father, which alienates and angers the older brother. Now, while we don't normally talk about the older brother a lot, we're going to do so today. And the last part of the context is this. It's what was occurring when Jesus shared this parable. Two groups had come to listen to him, the tax collectors and sinners, represented in this parable by the younger brother. These were the people who neither observed the moral laws of the Bible nor the rules for ceremonial purity followed by religious Jews. They engaged in wild living. They left home, so to speak, if you will, by leaving the traditional morality of their families in respectable society. The other group were the Pharisees and teachers of the law who were represented in the parable by the older brother. They held to the traditional morality of their upbringing, They studied and obeyed the scripture. They worshipped faithfully and prayed constantly, but as we discover, expecting recognition and reward for that. 
Now, as Paul Harvey used to say, here's the rest of the story. The attraction of the younger brothers to Jesus was an ongoing pattern in his ministry. He spoke in stories, parables that were understood, and he didn't force the law or ceremonial rites which appealed to them. Now, to sit down with someone in the ancient Near East in those days was a token of acceptance. This annoyed the scribes and the Pharisees. You can almost hear them saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them? What's with that? So who is Jesus directing the parable to? I believe it's a mistake to think that Jesus tells a story primarily to assure the younger brothers of God's unconditional love. In my opinion, and in several commentaries I've read, it's also directed to the scribes and Pharisees, represented by the older son in the parable. And climaxes with a powerful plea for him and us to change our hearts. The targets of this parable are not only the wayward sinners, but religious people who do everything the Bible requires. He's pleading to the moral insiders as well. He wants to to show them their blindness, narrowness, and self-righteousness and how these things are destroying their own souls and the lives of those around them. The original listeners were not melted into tears by this story. They were probably thunderstruck, offended, and infuriated. Because through this parable, Jesus challenges what nearly everyone had thought about God's sin and salvation. His story reveals the destructive self-centeredness of the younger brother, thinking only of himself and wanting to do whatever he wanted to do. But it also condemns the older brother, moralistic life in the strongest terms. A life where the older brother really says, I have never disobeyed you, therefore I should have some rights. I deserve more than this. You owe me. Jesus is saying that both the irreligious younger brothers and the religious older brothers are spiritually lost and both paths lead to dead ends. This is not the first time Jesus said a similar thing to respectable religious leaders. He was in the temple speaking to the chief priests and elders in Matthew 21:31, and said, the tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom before you. So let's dig a little deeper into the story and talk about the brothers. The younger brother asked for his inheritance, which was a sign of dis, dis, sorry, deep disrespect in those days. To ask while his father was still alive was really wishing him dead. He wanted his father's things, not him. He wants out. Give me what I'm entitled to, he says. The father's response is startling. As a Middle Eastern father, he would be expected to respond to such a request by driving his son out of the home and perhaps with physical blows. Think about it. What would you say if your son came up to you after the service today and said, uh, give me my inheritance so I can leave? What would you say? I don't think so. Who do you think you are? And probably even stronger words. He didn't do that. He simply divided his property between them. This was particularly significant because wealth in those days was generally been in property. In order to get one-third of what he was worth, he most likely would have had to sell a great deal of his land, basically tearing his life apart, enduring loss of honor as well as pain of rejected love. He does this for the love of his son. And this reflects the great love God has for us when we stray. Now, we really don't know specifically what the younger son did with his inheritance other than he went to a far country. And the fact that his brother mentioned harlots in verse 30 
We can probably guess wine, women, and partying. Then because of the famine, he ended up in want and working to feed swine in the fields with no one giving him anything. When he came to his senses, he reflected on the fact that his father's hired servants have bread and water to spare. I will go back to my father father, and say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired hands. So some clarification there. In those days, servants lived on the estate and worked for room and board. Hired men were various kinds of tradesmen or craftsmen who lived in the village and they earned a wage. So as a hired hand, he would have had the opportunity to repay his father. The father must have been watching for him and longing for his return because as the Bible says, his father saw him and had great compassion, ran to him, fell on his neck and kissed him even before the son asked for forgiveness. Then the father said to the servants, get my son the best robe, a ring for his hand, sandals for his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. For my son was lost and now is found. Here's the significance of those symbols. The best robe most likely would have been the father's and signified distinction and honor. The ring was a symbol of power and authority. The sandals signified freedom because slaves had bare feet. Only persons of worth wore sandals. And the fatted calf was only killed and served on very special occasions, like a wedding, for example. So now let's talk about the older son. He was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and said, what is this? And the servant replied, your brother has come. And because he is safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. The older son was angry and would not go in. So the father came out and pleaded with him to come. The older son said, These many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed or your commandment at any time. You never gave me a goat that I could make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. I am the one who is loyal to you. It's not fair. Let's stop here for a moment and consider these questions. Do you think it's possible that the younger son wanted to leave the house because of the harshness and set ways of the older son? Do you think if the older brother loved his younger brother and cared about him, he might have tried to convince him to stay? Or he might have gone after him and brought him home after he left? He should have said, Father, I will go after him and bring him back at my expense because he is my brother. After all, he knew where, I think he knew where the, he was and what he was doing because he said in verse 30 with harlots, the older son, also like the younger brother, wanted his father's goods rather than the father himself. Then the father said, son, you are always with me and all I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Remember what Jesus said when the the lost sheep and coin were found? There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 who don't need repentance. The irony in this parable is powerful. At the end of the story, the older brother has now become the prodigal himself. Well, the younger brother is once again a son. I believe Jesus was saying in this parable that we're often like the younger son living immorally and wildly or like the older son living within the law but with expectation of reward 
for that behavior. In other words, he owes me. Who do you relate to today? The younger, older brother? What do you think the people say when they visit this church? Younger, older brothers? Or do they see the love for God and each other permeating this place? Being a true Christian means obeying God's commandments because we love him as our father and we want to honor him in everything we do without expecting a reward other than forgiveness. Jesus gave us two new commandments. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we follow these, we will never be like the younger or older brothers, but live the life God has intended us to do. Could it be in this parable that Jesus was forewarning the church of today to remember these commandments? Here's a great story about Jesus. While it's not in the Bible, it illustrates the difference between faithfulness as a result of selfishness and faithfulness born of love. It was written by Elizabeth Elliot in her book, These Strange Ashes. And it goes like this. One day Jesus said to his disciples, I'd like you to carry a stone for me. I'd like you to carry a stone for me. He didn't give any explanation, so the disciples looked around for a stone to carry. And Peter, being the practical sort, picked up the smallest stone he could possibly find. After all, Jesus didn't give any regulations for size or weight, and he put it in his pocket. Jesus then said, follow me. He led them on a journey, and at about noon, Jesus had everyone sit down. Then he waved his hands, and the stones turned into bread. He said, now it's the time for lunch. In a very few seconds, Peter's lunch was over. When lunch was done, Jesus told him to stand up, and he again said, I'd like you to carry a stone for me. I'd like you to carry a stone for me. This time, Peter said, aha, now I get it. So he looked around and saw a small boulder. He hoisted it on his back, and it was painful. It made him stagger. But he said, I can't wait for supper. Jesus then said, follow me. He led them on a journey with Peter barely able to keep up. And after supper, around supper time, Jesus led them to the side of the river. And he said, now everyone throw your stones in the river. They did. Then he said, follow me and began to walk. Peter and the others looked at him dumbfounded. Jesus sighed and said, don't you remember what I asked you to do? Who were you carrying the stone for? We don't love God and obey his commandments because we expect a reward, do we? We do this because we love him. In his parable, the Father represent in this parable, the Father represents our Heavenly Father, Jesus knew so well. Jesus is showing us the God who spent everything for us, who is loving to his children. He is a loving Father who desires with all his heart to forgive his children. He sacrificed his son so that we can be forgiven and made whole. Won't you ask him to be your father today? Like the father in the parable, God is watching for us to turn to him, and he will run to meet us as we reach for him. Let him take you in your arms and comfort you. His grace is our greatest hope. It's a life-changing experience. Don't miss out on it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the lessons you provide us in your word. Help us to be the Christians you would have us be, obeying your commandments with love and without expecting recognition or reward other than forgiveness. 
Give us the wisdom to discern if we're becoming like the younger, older brothers and the strength to turn and run back to you if we are, knowing you will welcome us with open and forgiving arms. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.